Hello, hello, and welcome to God's Little Hummingbird. Now, we're going to depart from our standard study today, and we're not going to continue straight through Genesis. I'm going to do a little side topic that connects to the topic which we've been talking about. In a few of the chapters in Genesis, we noticed how God differentiated between clean and unclean animals right from the beginning. He told Noah to take two of the unclean animals animals and seven of the clean animals. He also told, uh, he all, we are also shown when Noah emerges from the ark that he sacrificed only the clean animals to the Lord. So with that, that's where we're going to venture a little bit today off topic, and we're not going to continue in the next chapter of Genesis with this episode. We are going to actually talk about what is food according to God. And we hit on it. We, we talked about it. I mean, we know certain phrases in Hebrew got misunderstood a little bit. For example, when they emerged from the ark and God said, oh, you can eat everything. Well, obviously he didn't mean people because it said every moving thing. Well, people move. And we know there are poisonous plants. And he said, hey, I give you every green thing. But we know that not in Hebrew, not everything means everything all the time. So you have to sometimes get out of the Greek linear thought, which our society is often embedded with and inundated with, and we need to get more into the circular thought patterns of the Hebrew language. So that being said, make sure to join us through this entire episode because it is going to be a study through God's word on some of the misunderstandings that people have concerning what we may now eat and what we can't. So remember, we read from the New King James Version Bible. You can find these Bibles online for free. Today, we are going to be jumping around. And in this podcast, I try to expose and, you know, help us understand some of the written English version of the Bible through the use of the Hebrew words. So with no further, you know, without further ado, let's continue on our study. We are going to begin our study reading today in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, this almost exact section is also listed in Leviticus 11, but we are going to just focus right now on Deuteronomy 14. And I pray, Father God, that you just open our eyes, ears, and hearts to your truth and your truth alone. And so we shall begin. Deuteronomy chapter 14. You are the children of Yahweh, your Elohim. Hopefully by now you're learning those words. The Lord, when it's all capital, it's his God's name in Hebrew is Yahweh. And then the word God is the word Elohim. It's actually plural in Hebrew. So I'll start again. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. For you are a holy people to Yahweh, your Elohim. And Yahweh has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hooves, having the hoof split into two parts, and that choose the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of the, those that chew the cud or have cloven hooves, notice that they don't have both, you shall not eat such as these, the camel, the hare, 
the hare, remember, is like a rabbit, and the rock hyrax, for they chew the cud, but do not have cloven hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine, or the pig, is unclean for you, because it it has cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud. You shall not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. All clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, and the kite after their kinds. Every raven after its kind, the ostrich, the short-eared owl, the seagull, and the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl, the stork, the heron after its kind, and the hoopoe and the bat. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to Yahweh your Elohim. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So these people right here that he's talking about, the foreigner, which is the word goyim, the Gentiles, and the alien, so the ones who are living among them but will not follow God, it didn't say they could give them the unclean food. It did say, though, that they could give him anything that had died of itself to eat. So there was a separation on that regard. What would not have been a separation, however, is if that person had chosen to become an Israelite. And let me give you an example. So we all know about the two spies who went into the land of Israel and were the only two who made it through the wilderness and got to enter the land. Well, it was Caleb, the Kenazite, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, and Joshua, now, Joshua was of was an Ephraimite, and this is a whole other can of worms we're not going to get into today, but Joshua, Jehoshua, was an Ephraimite, and Caleb was a Kenazite, but he became leader of the Jews. So there are t- 13 tribes in Israel. There's 12 tribes, but Joseph gets two portions, so his sons Ephraim and Manasseh got a portion. So it actually ended up being divided into 13 portions, the land, because the oldest got two portions. So remember, so if you have 12, but one person has to have two, you're going to add one more. So that oldest can have two, which makes it then a total of 13. So Joseph's son, Ephraim, eventually became leader of the Northern kingdom of Israel. And Judah became leader of the southern kingdom of Israel. And that's through history. We won't get into that. But that is a prophecy that I'm pointing out right now. Now, that Joseph, I'm sorry, that Joshua and that Caleb, Caleb, even though his father was a Kenazite, he is listed as a blood Israelite. Ruth left Moab and became a blood Israelite. And so when you want to serve God and when you want to follow God, you're, you become an Israelite. And the New Testament spends so much time trying to explain that to us, that there is di- no difference between Jew and Gentile. We are grafted in to one faith, one hope, one body. There's one olive tree into which we're all grafted in. Now, that being said, I want to clarify then that this law, if you choose to follow God and adhere to his ways, you are considered as 
a blood Israelite. And let me prove that to you. So there are so many verses. And I've gone through some of these on my God's Little Hummingbird Facebook page. But if you go to Exodus chapter 12, and you go all the way down, because I'm scrolling on the computer, to verse 49. This is talking about some of the Passover regulations originally when they are first, first emerging from Egypt. And here's what the Lord himself says. Verse 49 of chapter 12 of Exodus. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Oh, wow, right? It's not, oh, the Gentiles don't have to do that. Okay, let's further that. If you go to, um, if you look, and I'm not going to look right now, but I know if you go to Numbers 9, Numbers 15, in other sections in Scripture, Leviticus has some, it says this exact set of words so many times, so many times, that there shall be one law for the Jew and the Gentile. In fact, Let's go really quickly here. And I'm going to type something as I'm a note to myself as I'm doing this. Let's go to Isaiah 56. And I'm going to read Isaiah 56 to you. Keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the Gentile... Who has, and it says foreigner there, but it's the word goy, who has joined himself to Yahweh speaks, saying, well, Yahweh has utterly separated me from his people. So God's saying, don't do that. Don't say that you're separate from the people of Israel. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the Gentiles, the foreigners, who join themselves to Yahweh to serve him and to love the name of Yahweh, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Adonai Yahweh. Okay, so there, where you have capital L but little O-R-D, that is the Hebrew word, and I know we've talked about it once, Adonai, and it means Lord or Sovereign. So Adonai Yahweh, now notice that G-O-D is all capitals. Anytime it's all capitals, it's the tetragram yod Hey vav Hey, equivalent to Y-H-V-H, and it's the name Yahweh. So Adonai Yahweh, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. Again, I mean, and this this theme runs throughout Scripture. We hear over and over, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. We're all grafted into the one faith, one hope, one way, which would only make sense, because why would God make two separate, two separate set of rules? Well, you Israelites have to do this, but you Gentiles, you don't have to. You can just be lawless and licentious and just live a disgusting, horrible life that I say I hate, yet I'll still bless you. I mean, that doesn't even make sense with the character of God. And so we just really need to use some common sense here when we're trying to see what then Mark chapter 7 is addressing. So this is something that people take out of context and they twist like crazy. But we are going to turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Now we already saw in red, what God already said to his people. We already know 
in the prophets, um, Malachi, God says, I am not a man that I should change. I believe it's Malachi. It could be Micah. I'm sorry. I'm not looking right now, and I'm doing this study fairly quickly um, in between some things I have to do. So it's one of those verses, one of those chapters, and I can find it if any of you cannot find it, but just type in, I am not, you know, I I am not a man that, and I do not change, because it should come up on your computer. And it's either Malachi or Mark, um, I mean, sorry, Malachi or Micah. For some reason, I'm just forgetting which one. Okay, so Mark chapter 7 is a section of scripture that many Christians twist to say, oh, well, now we can eat everything as though God changed his mind, which I'm so glad my God does not change his mind or change his character because if he did, then he could decide not to send Jesus back the second time. And if he did change his mind and all of history wasn't already written right there in the first section of Genesis when we read about the creation, if it wasn't already foreordained and foretold and prophesied and already had appointments set for all the feasts and everything, I mean, my gosh, this would be a little chaotic and mayhem. But God is so perfectly ordered and he is so wonderful and true and there's no shadow or turning in him. He is so amazing. So let's look at verse, I'm sorry. Chapter Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, let me point out, nothing in the law of Moses talks about washing of hands this way. It is a separate book called the Talmud. So when you refer to Jews and the Jewish law, the Jewish law that is not in the Bible is called the is collected in the Talmud and it's called Judaism. There's a huge difference because Jesus and all of his disciples were Jews. All of the Jews were to every Israelite, Ephraimites, Asherites, Zebulonites, all of them were to obey the law of Moses. But during the Babylonian exile, they began to compile a list of extra rules. And throughout time, and then when the Pharisees and Sadducees were in existence and became into existence, uh, I guess, as a very, as a named group, they began to codify and write down the Talmud, which is what Jesus came against over and over and over. But let me just show you, continuing on. So we'll read that verse two again. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is with unwashed hands, they found fault because in their law, you have to wash your hands before you eat. Not in God's law. God's law does never say that if you be Genesis through Deuteronomy but it does say it in the Talmud. Verse three, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Notice that's the tradition of the elders, not a commandment of God. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold like the washings of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So people listen. The whole point of this is talking about the unwashed hands. So please, let's not twist the scripture to mean we can now eat people. Verse six, he answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Notice, he doesn't come against the commandments of God. He's talking about the handwritten commandments of men created by the Pharisees and Sadducees, which they actually began to create during the Babylonian exile, 
when they got, because remember the northern tribe of Israel got taken away by Assyria and has never yet returned. The southern kingdom of Judah went away for 70 years to Babylon. And they began to teach as doctrine the commandments of men, not God's laws. Verse 8, here's, here's proof. For laying aside, for basically for not obeying the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Basically, he says, you put aside the commandment of God so that you can keep your tradition of men. I will point out later that this is like Christmas and Sunday worship and every single thing that God did not command, but now men kind of commands it. They're traditions of men. None of that's in scripture. So interesting, huh? Let's read that verse again. Verse eight, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God. I will, I will testify that that actually says that in the Judaism scriptures. And it's horrible, right? Because we need to obey God. But they, they twist it and say, well, you don't have to obey God if this is the case. Or you don't have to obey God if this is the case. And that's what Jesus Yeshua is coming against. Verse 12. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. And I will point out people, just please go research it. But Easter and Christmas and all those things are traditions. They're not in the Bible. Like we are not to do them. And we are actually commanded not to do them because of the way they were originated. So we need to make sure we don't lay aside the commandments of God just so we can keep our traditions. Let's put God's ways first. Verse 14. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but from his stomach and is eliminated? thus purifying all foods. Now I'll point out that that does not actually say that in the original NU text, the thus purifying all foods. They added that in, uh, the translators did, but let's read it, what it really says. Because it does not enter his heart by his stomach and is eliminated. And he said, what comes out of man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within uh, defile a man. Now, if we read Matthew chapter 15, it goes on to say that he continues to say then, or clarifies that it's, but it's not to, you know, eating with unwashed hands doesn't defile you. So remember his whole thing is the Pharisees and Sadducees are asking him, why don't they eat with, why don't your disciples eat with washed hands according to our commandments, not God's? our commandment. So he goes on to say, gosh, you guys are missing the point here. Like when you eat, that's like you, your hands could be unclean in that marketplace, but that's not going to destroy you. That's not going to defile you. What is going to defile you are the things that God tells you to overcome. These fornications, blasphemies, all these other things. Okay. So never did he clear, did never, never, never did he say everything was food. In fact, let's go. And I'm going to type this in here as we're reading. Let's go to Matthew chapter five. This will shed light on something for you guys. It will help. Let's see what Jesus had just said 
Okay, so Matthew 5, Mark 15, these are all talking about before he was crucified, when he was on earth. Matthew 5, verse 17 is where I'm going to begin. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. If you understand Hebrew people, you will understand that is a common Hebrew idiom to this day. If you ask a Jewish person who lives in Israel, and remember, only the Jews have returned, so that's who you're going to talk to if you talk to them. You say, are you, are you fulfilling or annulling the law? What you're asking them, are you obeying the law or breaking it? That is a Hebrew idiom to this day. And remember, these Ju- Judaism and, and Pharisees and Sadducees don't even believe in Jesus. So th- this is like a common thing that they didn't, they're not, and they're not just trying to twist Jesus' words because they don't even believe he's the Messiah, many of them. So don't think that I came to disobey the law or the prophets. I did not come to disobey, but to fulfill or to obey. For assuredly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, one jot, or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Now, remember we talked about Jesus' second coming is already prophesied right there in Genesis chapters one and two. So he hasn't come back the second time. Not everything is fulfilled. Now, at his first Moedim, his first appointment on earth, he had fulfilled all of the Passover obligations. He had died at the time of Passover and rose on the Feast of First Fruits. So, so he did fulfill or he gave meaning to that stuff. He obeyed those appointments. But he still has a second coming. So if all is fulfilled and obviously heaven and earth have not yet passed away, that means one, nothing of the law is yet gone. Verse 19, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Boy, I hear lots of church pastors say not to obey the little commandments anymore. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses, I mean, exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's Jesus' own words. Let me see here if I can get to chapter, Matthew chapter 7. This is a really good verse as well. I need to just, I need to find where it's at. And I apologize. Like I said, I'm just doing this. Okay, Matthew 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Basically, you who don't obey the law. You who practice lawlessness without law. You who practice the without law. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 65. So this is the second coming of Jesus. And I have had nobody disagree with me on this. And I've met with hundreds and hundreds of pastors in the last 20 years. But let's look at what the second coming looks like and what Jesus is going to do with those eating swine, pig. So, this might really make you stop. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. 
I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, don't come near me for I'm holier than you. And here's God's response. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Wow. Okay, let's go to chapter. Okay, and then he continues on. And you're going to see that he is talking about the, the second coming of Messiah. Chapter 66, if we go all the way down here, we are going to start in verse 14. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of Yahweh shall be known to his servants and his indignation to all his enemies. For behold, Yahweh will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury. Okay, this is the second coming, right? When he judges the world. And his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, Yahweh will judge all flesh and the slain of Yahweh shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be destroyed or consumed together, says Yahweh. Whoa. Okay, so you can argue all day long with anybody you want, but you better not argue with God. He says he's going to destroy those eating swine's flesh because what did he just say in the chapter previously? Because there's smoke in the nostrils holier than thou. They think, I'm so much holier than you, I can eat this. Now, we already established that God never changes. He already shows us that that law is for any Jew or Gentile ever who was going to obey him. And just because Jesus died doesn't mean the nature of sin changed. Murder is still wrong. Stealing is still wrong. Any of the transgression of the covenant is still wrong. But believe me, we are not saved by obedience to God's law, right? We are not, that's not our salvation that doesn't give us new life. I can obey everything, but without understanding that I was a sinner and I needed the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, then I never would get into heaven if I didn't understand that, right? I'm not going to get into heaven just by saying, well, I'm good enough. I'm obeying these laws, right? Because we all fail. And that failure is what separates us from God. And Yeshua, Jesus, in his mercy and grace died for us so that when we need a forgiving sin, when we need a forgiving sacrifice for our sin, I should say, his blood is there for us. He has paid the price if we turn and repent. If we turn and repent. It says that all through the New Testament, return, repent. It doesn't say you can continue on in sin. In fact, the book of Hebrews says, he who does continues in sin tramples the blood of Christ. 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is transgression of the law. The word law there is the word used for Moses' law, the law of God, not man's traditions, the law of God. We're also told in the book of Romans, all the way from chapters one to six, we are told that we do not know sin if we don't know the law of God. That is the purpose of the law. It helps us in writing to understand what the law is. But now we have the Holy Spirit to even help us give it a better understanding because Jesus never told them, hey, don't do the law. What he said was, hey, you say not to commit adultery, right? That's what the law says, but I'm telling you, don't even lust for that woman. And you say not to murder, and that's what the law says. You're right, but I'm showing you that what it means is don't even hate your brother. So notice he never did away with the law. He explained the law. I want to go through one more very, very, very misunderstood and taken out of context scripture. Um, if we go to Acts chapter 11, I believe it is. Sorry, like I said, I'm doing this with you. <laughs> um, 
Uh, this is, right, let's go back to chapter 10. So if we go to Acts chapter 10, it's actually going to have the story that Acts chapter 11 is referring to. So let's go to Acts chapter 10 and let's see. Now, this is eight years after Jesus rose from the dead. And if anybody had been told that Jesus' greatest victory on the cross was going to be now that we could eat people, horses, dogs, pigs, whatever, and that he was no longer going to, that Isaiah prophecy about his second coming no longer stood because he did away with it and all the covenant was gone, so therefore he might flood the world again. I mean, right? I mean, come on. That's ludicrous to even teach such crap. It is garbage. And we just, just have read how, and I was, gosh, where is it? I was reading in my Bible this morning about those who disobey God are lawless. And over and over and over, we're told the Antichrist is the man of lawlessness. Let's not be on the side of lawlessness. Let's obey God's laws. It doesn't save us. But once we are saved, he has a path for us. How do we become his bride? How do we function as his wife? That's what he's trying to show us. So let me show you Peter's vision here. Um, we are going to start in verse 9, the next chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So nothing sinful or something has been defiled. But and, and a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. Now listen to the next verse. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Okay, notice he didn't get up and just sacrifice a pig and say, hey guys, we can eat anything now. He was wondering, okay, what does this vision mean? And if all of you know, like God speaks in prophecy and look at Joseph's dream. His brothers were sheaves of wheat. They never turned into sheaves of wheat, but he understood when he was in Egypt and all of a sudden his brothers were coming to get grain and food from him. He knew the vision to be coming to pass. He never, ever though, expected them to turn into sheaves of wheat. It was symbolic. And here Peter's like, he's wondering what this meant. And while he was wondering, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. I am so sorry. I realized I forgot those. I didn't read those first verses. Okay, let me read. Back up, chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before you. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, so three people, from among those who waited on him constant, continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now remember, the vision happened three times. Here are three men traveling to find him. So I'm going to read verse 17 again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. 
While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God has a, and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by the holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So that's, Okay, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how, quote, unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. Because they were supposed to come to us, not go to them. And it was all these things that he was misunderstanding. Let's listen. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Wow. What did Peter understand the vision meant? Because see, God associated, like was using the unclean animals to represent these people. Because in Peter's mind, Peter understood that we aren't to eat those things. And this is eight years after Jesus rose from the dead. So he still wasn't eating unclean things, people. But they had a misunderstanding still about the differentiation and how to reach out to these people, the Gentiles. And so God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? Okay, blah, 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 blah. If you read chapter 11, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say blah, 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 but I'm trying to not make this go too long for you. But if you go to chapter 11, it will have the same thing where the, the men are together and they're like, you can't have these Gentiles. And he's like, with you. And he's like, wait a minute, God showed me not to call them common or unclean. So people, let's look at all of scripture as a whole. Let's listen to what God says. And if, 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 if God had declared any animal now food, and that all food is like, that this just doesn't even make sense, right? We can't eat poop. We can't eat, um, we don't eat people. We don't eat horses. And remember, just because other people do it doesn't make it right. We need to choose to obey God and not set aside the commandment of God to hold to our traditions of men. And we just read Isaiah 65 and 66. We know those people will be destroyed. So let's make every effort to really understand God's word in truth. God did not send Jesus to die so we could be lawless. He died so we could be forgiven when we sin and sin is transgression of the law. He came to give us his Holy Spirit to overcome our sin so that we walk in obedience to him. And remember, obedience is better than sacrifice. May God's word rest fully in our heart. May Satan not snatch it away. May the thorns and um, deceitfulness of riches and of this life not take it away. Father God, please help us all to be set free, free in truth. So remember, we're to be set free from sin, not so we can sin. Okay, guys, I try to keep it not too long. Have a blessed day. And any questions, remember to like and subscribe to this, but then also follow me on the God's Little Hummingbird Facebook page where you can message me and communicate with me. And if you have any questions, that's a great place just to reach out to me. Okay, you guys have a super blessed day.